This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and relevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast, and I am so happy to be here with Nat. How are you? Hey, Annie. It's really great to be here. I have to admit, I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm going to try and work through it. I've got my cosmic background on, so. Looks good. I love it. Just give me some confidence. (laughs) Um, I'm a huge fan of This Naked Mind, uh, the podcast and uh, the book, This Naked Mind. So it's really exciting for me to be here and to be a part of this. Um, Basically, I'm going to do pretty much my story. Um, it's very long and complicated, and I'm going to try and really just keep it, you know, as succinct as possible and, and not put people to sleep. But um, I'm an alcoholic, so that's number one. <laughs> so you'll find out through the story. So um, my name is Nat. Uh, I'm a 43, 43-year-old married uh, guy of 15 years. I was just uh, celebrating my 15th anniversary. I've got two boys, 11 and 7. Uh, I run a small sports store in the town that I grew up in. Uh, my parents still live in the house that I grew up in. Luckily, I'm not still there, but <laughs> I do love them. But, you know, so we're all kind of in the same place that where I grew up. And my kids go to the same schools that I went to. Uh, miraculously, my kids have the same librarian that I had. So she's, wow. it's amazing. Like, she's, <laughs> she's still there. But, um Basically, I'll have four years sober on January 18th of 2018. And basically, I mean, I've been through a lot. Um, You know, at the beginning of the, you know, I got to know this naked mind, like I was saying. Um, When the pandemic hit, I decided to start a podcast with another friend of mine uh, where we talk about different books and different modalities. And he was like, you got to read this naked mind. Like, we have to talk about this. This is, you know, and uh, and so we did. And, um, you know, so we I've spent a lot of time listening to your books and the podcast. And we really um, I'm really taking it to heart. The, um, you know, the techniques you talk about uh, and especially the way that you're asking us to view alcohol, you know and kind of see where we've been led astray. But in any case, so I grew up in this small town. Um, I grew up in a very religious, academic, musical, athletic, and professional loving household. You know, I had two parents that were attorneys. They, you know, I didn't really want for anything. It was a very nice childhood. Maybe they were overbearing. Um, And interestingly, there wasn't really alcohol in the house. Uh, I didn't grow up in a house where 
Um, my father was drinking a lot. Um, even my relatives didn't drink that much. They were pretty much teetotalers and Baptists. Um, there's always those stories, though, in the family. You know, you don't want to end up like, you know, Uncle Jack. And, oh, what happened to Uncle Jack? Well, you know, then they said he was an alcoholic. And so there's always those stories. Um, but really, I, I never saw my father drink more than an entire beer. You know, he's one of these guys that would really, like, romanticize a German Hefeweizen beer. And he would look at it and he'd say, look at that beer, Nat, you know. And he'd taste it and say, oh, it's like mother's milk. And I would always cringe when he said that. Um, but it was that kind of thing. It was just like romanticizing of beer. He would go on for hours talking about Germany's beer purity laws. I don't know why this is something he was so interested in, but he was always marveling at, at the laws <laughs> that they have for alcohol purity in Germany. I don't even know if it's true. Um, <laughs> but so there was no, I didn't have a, a household that, that w- there was drinking. But the, the flip side of that is we weren't talking about you know, drugs, drinking, or really kind of the dangers uh, of alcohol. I mean, we were really, you know, kind of viewing it as this, like I said, like a romantic thing. It's almost like you drink this and you're spending time with your father. And, you know, even though I wasn't drinking it when I was very young, but I wasn't very much older when I first tried it for the first time, you know, type of thing. But, um, you know, so I had a pretty normal childhood. I had an older brother who was, you know, mostly normal, uh, minus his political views, but I won't get into that here. <laughs> but for the most part, he's a normal guy. Uh, he, he wasn't an alcoholic that I could tell. Um, when I was in high school, I think is when it started. I think that this is the big question, right? Like, when did it start? When was the first time? You always hear people say, I took that first sip and I felt like I was home, you know? Um, I I don't know if I felt like I was home once I had a drink, but I definitely liked feeling different. I love to feel outside of myself Um, because I was one of these kids. I always felt like I was on the outside. You know, Mm -hmm. even if it was a club I started, I felt like I didn't belong there, (laughs) which, uh, you know, I still feel that way to some extent. I'm just aware of it. So when I found alcohol in high school, and of course there was some pot smoking going on, this is the early nineties and yeah, pot was going around and I didn't go crazy drinking and using, but my whole academic career, so to speak, began to slip because for whatever reason, I think it's because I was diagnosed with ADHD later in life, but at the time, I noticed that I couldn't keep my grades up the same way that like my friends did. So we'd be doing the same stuff. I would be at behind the tree behind the high school with the same kids. And, but I couldn't figure out how to keep on top of my grades. And I'm not sure why that is, or if I was, I mean, who knows, but ultimately I had to, I ended up going to boarding school. I'm trying to skip ahead because you get into the weeds with all this stuff. So ultimately, I went to a boarding school, a private boarding school. Um, it's about 40 minutes away from where I live. I was happy to go. This was not a punishment for me. Um, I was feeling very trapped. I was feeling like my parents were overbearing. I was feeling like I couldn't be myself. And I knew that I wasn't uh, being successful. And that was frustrating to me. Uh, I was a very good athlete. And um, 
I was one of the better trumpet players uh, in in school. So I was succeeding at, at certain things, but overall I was upset. So I went away to school and at this boarding school, it was a very religious, uh, it, was a, a, it was a Protestant fundamentalist school with lots of rules, curfews and codes of com conduct. Um, so it was a lot more, you know, a lot more rules and things like that. But incidentally, I found uh, something called Ritalin, which is known today, they call it, well, it's a different drug called Adderall, but it's that same idea. Kids yeah. with ADHD, they take Adderall. Uh, back then it was Ritalin. And uh, I had a friend who was taking it and he said, hey, you know, you want to try this? And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I really got addicted, you could say, to feeling something different. And the focus that it gave me, and maybe it was because I was ADD, but I wasn't diagnosed. And when I finally started to take that, I felt like I could focus on things and pretty much do anything. So that's when something switched, you know. And so throughout the rest of my high school career, um, you know, we would sneak out. I did a lot of drinking, but it was also fueled by this Ritalin addiction that had sort of crept in. And it was kind of weird because it's not like I could buy it anywhere. It just, I was obsessing over it, even though I wasn't taking it all the time. Um, so later on, I actually ended up graduating, thank God. And I got my addictions under control. So my senior year, I had this girlfriend who was really cracking down on me, or, you know, and she got me to turn it around. And I ended up getting into a really good music school. So I went to the Crane School of Music, uh, at SUNY Potsdam for my college, for my first time at college. And, uh, and man, I felt so out of my depth when like, I don't know how I got into that school. Like I was pretty good, you know? And I always thought of myself as pretty good, but the kids at that school were like on a whole other level, you know? And I was a classical guitar major. Uh, so on top of feeling like I, I didn't have it all together with like my music theory stuff. And there's a lot of stuff I just, I didn't know and the other kids did and um you know so I really just kind of felt like another like an outcast and, and some of this I've you know attributed to imposter syndrome syndrome where I feel like no matter what I do I'm not good enough and this is a revelation I've had later on in life about you know kind of the way I feel but so at the college that's when I really started to drink like most people drinking in college it's just part of the whole it's part of everything or at least it used to be um so getting to know people that you know you might be nervous with otherwise you're drinking together and you're feeling more comfortable uh, and so i got into horrible drinking habits um just you know all the time to the point that i had to basically drop out of school so after three and a half years of uh, of music school and realizing I was not going to make it because um, I just couldn't keep up with the practicing and it was way too uh, difficult to be drinking the way that I was and so I switched majors and then I moved back home all right so I come back home um, not finished college with all plans of going back and finishing uh, and in the meantime I thought I would take a job if I could find one uh, so there was this new job that had just been posted. It's nothing has been seen like it before. It was search engine optimization specialist. And now this is the year 2000 before there was such a thing. 
right? So I got this entry-level job, you know, I made like $22,000 a year <laughs> just to learn how to do this stuff. And basically it sent me in a completely different trajectory in my life. I got really good at uh, internet marketing and I ended up starting my own company. Uh, and this is where I think really my addiction really kind of went nuts. And because I was just writing all this stuff down because I don't frequently think about this stuff. The only reason I'm talking about this is because I'm coming here to talk to Annie Grace about it, right? But it's actually really good that I'm taking a look at this stuff because I'm starting to see like a pattern. And I think that's one of the things that we try and do when we're looking at our, our past, let's say transgressions and the things that I've been through. I'm looking for a pattern. And what happened was I had this feeling, I started to be very successful at my business. It was uh, what we call lead generation uh, in marketing and sales. So we helped auto dealerships get more customers is the simplest way to think of it. And uh, it grew really fast. I was the president of this company. I mean, we only had like 12 employees, but you have to remember I was 23 years old. I was a music school dropout. I was completely unqualified to run anything, really. And that's the way I felt. And here I was, I was doing the books. I was running payroll. I was paying people. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, so in that meantime, uh, I had met my current wife and she hung around with the cool kids. Uh, I was never hanging out with the cool kids, but my wife, she used to hang out with the cool kids. So I started hanging out with her buddies and they were just party time all the time. They had a party house. They had a party cars. It was party everything all the time. And it was like nothing I had ever experienced because I wasn't a popular kid, like ever. And so all of a sudden there was this party lifestyle. And I'm also running this company from my house at the age of 23. And things just got so out of control. And I like, I was drinking in the morning. I was drinking like every chance I get. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this before. People will say, I had to wake up at three in the morning to take a drink because I was shaking. And you think, how is that possible, right? That sounds insane, but that's exactly where, um, where it took me. And um, everything in my life pretty much fell apart because of this. Um, especially, you know, on top of all of the using, now I, I had gotten married as well. So we had a relationship that was really going, you know, in the right direction. Now it was becoming increasingly more tumultuous because the more I was using and drinking and the more she said, promise you won't do it again. And of course I said, I promise you got it, hon. Never again. Right. And so every time I said that, it's another lie. And so it became lies on top of lies. And then the business crashed and with that, you know, my financial stability collapsed, my sense of, you know, well-being, and I just really fell into a pretty bad, I was in a pretty bad scenario, health-wise. Um, I was drinking all the time. I was calling my cocaine dealer every other day. It was, it was whatever I could get, and I can't tell you how many nights I found myself just literally shivering you know, in a fetal position next to my bed, praying that I could go to sleep and that this could be over. And the most amazing part of that is I would get up and do it again mm -hmm. the next day. I would go right for, I would still romanticize about scotch. I would still think of 
sniffing it, you know, in the snifter with your smoking jacket on in front of the fire, you know, those romantic ideas. And it's never like that, of course. It's grabbing the bottle of scotch from under you know, the table. And, you know, I wasn't drinking it even in a glass anymore. Um, and it really, my life basically completely came off the rails. Um, miraculously, I was able to stay married. Not only that, we had two children in the meantime. So it wasn't all off the, you know, like I would get it together long enough to have another child or something, or I'd put it together long enough to get a job, which three months later I would lose because of drinking. And, and that's so humiliating too, just even thinking about the number of jobs that I, I lost because I was a drunk essentially. And, you know, you feel horrible about that, thinking back on it, but it all came to a head, you know, because I have a very close family. My wife was, you know, obviously we're very close. She loved me. She was watching me destroy myself. Um, but it came time for me to like come clean and to ask for help. And I'll never forget it. It was my father's birthday, December 27th. I can't remember which year it was. Maybe it's 2012 or 2013 where I was just in terrible shape. And they had come over for my dad's birthday just to visit. And it was so clear that I, I wasn't behind my eyes anymore. I was totally gone. Um, I, I didn't eat much, all I did was drink. And finally, I came out to talk to them and I said, I have a drug problem, <laughs> you know? And it was kind of like, no kidding. Thanks for telling us, you know what I mean? It was one of those coming out scenarios that you hear about for all kinds of things. People come out and they go, of course you are, right? And so from there, I really started, you know, my journey of actively trying to seek recovery. And let me tell you, I spent about 10 years failing, I guess, well, maybe not failing, but I didn't, I didn't get sober. It took me about 10 years to get my first year. Um, and before, you know, people, we talk about rock bottom and I've been reading a lot about, uh, there's a book called the unbroken brain that I was just reading, uh, dopamine nation is another one that I just read that we did for my show talking about this notion of rock bottom is kind of BS or they're, they're saying, no, forget rock bottom. It's wherever you are right now. Like, don't wait till you get to a rock bottom because there's always, you can always get worse than that, you know, but I finally got a DWI, which stopped me in my tracks, I'd say. I mean, what, once I got a DWI, my entire, the entire trajectory of my life had to change, um, especially on, I live in Long Island and in Nassau County, it's extremely, uh, they're very strict. So the punishments are, are harsher than they might be even in surrounding counties. And so in getting this DWI, um, basically I was forced or I was compelled by the court uh, to attend these outpatient therapy sessions. Um, outpatient, it's like, it's rehab, except you go there each day. It's not a sleep away uh, rehab, but I was, I had to go for my court. Um, I received probation, I received three years probation mostly because during the year of my trial, I wasn't able to stay sober. Mm -hmm. So my lawyer had a great deal going, you know, oh, don't worry, you're not gonna even have probation. We're gonna 
you know, it'll be a, a violation. And the judge was going along with it. So is the VA. And within the last week or two before they were going to finish it and do my sentencing, I got a dirty urine at, I, I had drank and I flunked the urine test and they immediately called the court and it all got ruined and I had to go do probation. Uh, so I was on probation for three years and the terms of my probation were that, you know, I was not allowed to drink. Uh, I was not allowed to do drugs, obviously. Um, and I had to continually, I had to complete uh, the one year outpatient program. Uh, the outpatient program, for those of you who have never done it before, typically it's an intensive outpatient uh, period of time where you're going three times a week, three hours a session. You do that for eight weeks and it's just very intensive and then it, it titrates until you know you can graduate basically. So all I had to do was complete that and I kept relapsing over and over and over. I'd say I did five different outpatient places because I would keep failing and I didn't have the option to stop because I was never getting my driver's license back if I didn't complete this. And I was never gonna get off of probation. I mean, hopefully they would have eventually let me off of probation, but they were waiting for me to complete this program. You know, so in that period of time, getting from conviction to uh, the other side of it, sober with my driver's license back and like, that was a very heavy lift. Um, but that's exactly what I did. I, I worked on it and worked on it and worked on it until uh, until finally I had one last relapse on January 18, uh, 2018. And after that one was a pretty bad one. Um, I finally got it together and I've been sober ever since. Um, and so it's just been it's just been so amazing. It's it's really dealing with my recovery now as not just something I have to do. It's something that I love to do, um, especially, you know, every single week I'm talking about it on my show and I'm always reading these books. Um, and it all started in the pandemic. I mean, I could talk for so long because there's been so much that that's happened in the past, even just the past year, this pandemic has been horrible for my business. It has been very detrimental to my kids and the way that, you know, what they had to go through, but I didn't drink. <laughs> um, I put everything that I have into my recovery. And, um, you know, we started this podcast as sort of like, ju just to talk to another person. It was, it was so interesting the way it all came down and, and just to be able to do it every week. And that's where I heard about this naked mind and it was just and that really i mean maybe i had a couple of years when i already read this naked mind but i think of it sort of like like a master class you know like if you're in in acute you know and and i had this i was talking to dave of dopey who i, I help him with his marketing and he knows i'm a big fan of yours so before you went on his show he's like tell me what this naked mind thing is what is it you know and it was really fun to try and kind of put it all together for him and try to explain what I thought of it. Hopefully I did a good job. And um, it's really I like a, a different way of thinking. Now, 
probably if you get someone who's right in the worst part of their addiction and you know they're you know it's i don't know if they're going to have the presence of mind to sit there read your book put it together and you know but i feel like you know where i was at in my recovery i got through the nitty-gritty stuff i wasn't really craving that much but i still had in my head i was treating it like like it's a reward and what, something that you talked to us about or what was in your book about how to disabuse yourself of the idea that a drink is a reward like and it's easier said than done but i finally got to that place where i don't look at other people drinking when i go out and feel like i'm missing something you know and i think that that's one of the biggest uh, takeaways that i had from this naked mind is it just changes flips the whole script on how we see alcohol um and I feel like I'm there now. I don't, you know, my wife still drinks and it doesn't bother me that much, except that I think, well, I guess you want cancer, you know, <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to deal with family members now when you don't want to make them feel bad all the time, you know, but you also don't want them to drink, you know, so <laughs> what are we supposed to do about that, you know? Um, yeah. And then, and here I am today talking to Annie Grace. On this naked mind podcast, I can't believe it. That's so awesome. So, um, your podcast, where can people listen to it? So we're called Recovery in the Middle Ages. Uh, we're on Apple uh, or MiddleAgesRecovery.com. It's the Middle Ages, not because it's the history of you know alcoholism in the Middle Ages, but we're middle-aged guys. We're both parents, and we sort of look at it from that angle, because there's a lot of practical issues that we deal with as middle-aged parents in suburbia. You know, one of them, and I was listening to your last podcast, you were talking to the woman, I think she was from Israel, uh, not Israel, from <laughs> Ireland, big difference. And she was talking about just the way that, you know, she's thinking about it now. Uh, and it, it's really, you know, it's just been really, um, it's been really great, you know, but um you know middle ages we're just middle-aged guys and we're you're having fun but yeah i would love i would love for you to come on our show too annie i think that would be so amazing i mean you're practically like one of the hosts we talk about you so much um <laughs> but yeah it's been really exciting and uh, you know thank you so much for having me on well i love that so much so i'm gonna ask you the question that i wrap it all up with which is if you were going to go back in time and sort of talk to the you that was really stuck in it all and you know finding the ins and outs of the 10 years in order to finally reach um the, the you know where you are today what would you tell yourself wow what would i tell myself yeah i heard you ask that a, a couple of times before and i was like what would i say i tell myself just don't give up don't give up because the only thing is that got me to where I'm sitting right now, from where I was, which was really, really bad. Um, it was just that I didn't give up. Keep trying new things. You know, don't give up after your first AA meeting. Read Annie's book, you know, go to a, a This Naked Mind, you know, go to the online groups. You know, there's so much more support that I didn't know about. I mean, there's support that's available right now. You know, just from the recovery groups online to listening to podcasts or listening to like your book, just, you know, don't give up. 
if I could say one thing, don't, don't give up. Oh, I love that so much. Well, this has been so fun. Do you have anything else to add in? No, this is just cool. It's a little dream of mine, you know, to be on the uh, Naked Mind podcast here. So this is very cool. Um, Just, hey, everybody, you can do it. (laughs) I did it too. (laughs) Oh, I love your energy. It's so great. Well, thank you so much, Nat. It's been just super fun. All right. Thank you so much, Annie. I'll see you all later. Hi, it's Annie Grace. I wanted to interrupt this podcast, I guess the end of this podcast, to say that if you're totally serious about actually and truly and forevermore transforming a relationship with alcohol, really leaving it behind in the rearview mirror for once and forever, and changing your psychology about it, we have a program called The Path that I've created specifically for you. Now, it's not for you if you're still dabbling or trying to figure out where you want to be or maybe even if you still want to moderate. All those things are fine. That's great. But if you're beyond that and you're like, no, I just want to be done with this. I'm ready to invest some time. I'm ready to just make this happen. I want the answer. I want the easy way out. Then I want you to check out nakedmindpath.com and join us in the path where you receive coach guided and community support so that you can truly make this lasting change that you want in your life. And as always, Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.